Hey, it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. It really is. Uh, hey, so listen, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here too, but we're more glad. It's just so good to look out in the room, right, and just see faces and people that I know and that I love, and uh, it's just so good to be back together. So in light of that, we are doing a series on relationships this morning. It's called uh, What Happy Couples Know. Uh, and by the way, I do want to address one thing. So before I got up here, Don Thomas pulled me aside this morning. She said, I just had no idea how excited you were to be back at church. Like she started referencing this thing on Facebook. I said, Don, seriously, I have no idea what you're talking about. So she pulls up her phone. She shows me this clip of this guy on stage going absolutely bonkers and ape. I mean, it, clearly the guy was out of his mind, right? And I don't even know when that happened. Seriously, you, some of you think I'm joking. I mean, shouldn't I like have to sign like a, a letter of agreement for people to put something like that on Facebook? That was just there. I just want you to know in the interest of honesty and transparency, that was there without my knowledge or permission. And I just think, no, no, don't applaud. No, don't do that. I just think, I just think, that we should pay a little more attention to what I want and need. That's all I'm saying. All right, well, anyway. So, hey, when it comes to relationships, we said last week, right, when it comes to relationships that all of us have a box. We're going to show you that box. It's an invisible box that we carry into all of our relationship. It's a box of our hopes, our dreams, our desires. And we said that we carry a box like that into every relationship that we have. And that at some point in that relationship, we take that box filled up with our hopes, dreams, and desires, and we hand it over, right, to the person that we're in a relationship with. And we, we don't say this out loud, but essentially what we're saying is, look, here, I'm handing you my box. I want you to make all this happen for me, right? I mean, hey, this is what I always dreamed it would be like. Uh, you know, the, the reason I pursued you, the reason I asked you out for the first time, the reason I walked down the aisle with you is because I thought you could be that person that would be able to fulfill my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. But the challenge is, right, and the problem is, uh, when we hand off our box filled with hopes, our own hopes, dreams, and desires, when we hand that to the other person, it doesn't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires to them, right? Instead, what it looks to them is like this. It feels like a box filled with demands and expectations. In other words, to them, it feels like a weight, to them, it feels like pressure. To them, it feels like a homework assignment, right? It feels like responsibility. It feels like, hey, if they don't come through or if I don't come through, they're going to be so disappointed in me. They're going to be so hurt. Now, we said last week that an expectation is simply this. It's a strong desire that I turn into a demand. And the problem with boxes filled with demands and expectations is that, um, you know, when, when 
you essentially swap boxes, right? We hand each other a box of our demands and our expectations. Because it isn't just that you handed someone a box filled with your hopes, dreams, and desires. It's that at the same time, or maybe a week later or a month later, they hand you a box. So it's not just that you're handing off a box. What's happening is we're swapping boxes. And when we swap boxes, well, this leads... And, and so in essence, what we're saying is, look, I'll give you mine, you give me yours. And what was kind of intangible and unspoken before, right, kind of starts to come out. And it starts to come out in a series of long arguments or long discussions about whose box is better, whose box is more important, whose box is more logical, Right now, or, or whose box just makes the most sense? Now, this is not meant, this style of marriage is not meant to be a representation of Christian marriage. Christian marriage is meant to be a submission competition. Christian marriage is supposed to be a place where both people are racing to the back or the end of the line. You go first. No, you go first. No, your needs before my needs. Oh no, your needs before mine. Now today, I want to explain how it is that we know this to be true. So at the end of Jesus' ministry, the, uh, he's hours away from being arrested. He gathers his little posse together, gathers his guys together, and he says to them, here's a few things I want you to remember. And toward the end of that time, as they're sharing a meal together, this was a very important Jewish holiday called the Passover. Uh, so they're celebrating Passover, and Jesus does something kind of interesting. He makes the Passover celebration about himself, about himself, and he, and he says to his followers, I'm going to give you a brand new command. And to these Jewish young men, this should have been very offensive to them because uh, you, only God can give commands, right? Now, this doesn't bother us in the slightest, doesn't faze us in the least. Uh, but what, what, what Jesus was claiming was that he was greater than Moses. And to these Jewish young boys, this was, uh, well, this was blasphemy. I mean, so you could talk about the commands of Moses. You could exegete the commands. You could explain the commands. You could apply the commands. You could prioritize the commands. But only God can make up new ones. So there's a sense in which Jesus is saying, look, I'm greater than Moses and I'm equal with God. And he was claiming in that moment to speak for God. And these guys, as fine Jewish young men, should have gotten up and left the room, but they didn't. And you know why? Because they already knew who Jesus was. But make no mistake, what Jesus was saying in this moment was he was saying, look, I'm going to give you, I'm stepping between you and God, and I'm going to give you a new command. And so he said, a new command I give you, love one another. To which they probably thought, hey Jesus, I'm not sure if you know this, but that's not new. And then to which Jesus, I'm sure, would have replied, well, let me finish, right? I'm not finished yet. I want you to love one another, not as you would want to be loved, but as I have loved you. 
you. That's the new command. That's the way I want you to love one another. And this is such a big moment because what Jesus is saying here, he's reducing the Jewish law from 600 commands down to something like one. One command, right? And he's saying, look, at the end of the day, these are your marching orders relationally. I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. Now, here's where this starts to get mind-blowing. So I want you to ask yourself the question, what would a marriage look like where two people in that marriage were committed to loving one another in the way that Jesus has loved each of them? What would that marriage look like? Now, fortunately, we don't have to guess. Because the Apostle Paul tells us Now, if you'll remember, the Apostle Paul hated Christians, arrested Christians, tortured Christians, put Christians to death, or at least approved of Christians being put to death. So if you you also, if you're maybe listening online and you also hate Christians, you're in good company. And I'll even bet that the Apostle Paul hated Christians more than you did because hating Christians was like his job. You probably only do it like part-time, right? So the Apostle Paul becomes a Jesus follower. His life gets turned upside down, and when it does, he begins to take this teaching of Jesus, this one big idea, I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you, and he begins to apply it to different contexts and different relationships. So anytime you read a one another in scripture, that's just a specific application of Jesus' broader command to love one another. So give honor to one another, give preference to one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. All of these are just specific applications of Jesus' Jesus' command, or his commandment to, for us to help us love one another. So the Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, summarizes that command in specific applications. So, he's, so I just want you to know, he's not making this stuff up. He's not even only just writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's taking Jesus' command to love one another, and in the verses we're about to look at, he's going to apply that to marriage. And here's what he says. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, right? Uh, To your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, what could be any clearer than that? Let's pray. No, we're not going to do that. We are going to talk about that more. If I were a self-serving husband, I would stop there, but I'm not. So, sure, yeah. Um, Anyway, now listen, if you hear, I'm going to leave this verse up there, because if this verse bothers you, if you're a woman in the room and this makes you uncomfortable, I'm glad it bothers you, and I'm going to leave it up there so you can really focus and just really get up and bothered. You know what I mean? And some of you might even say, look, it's a verse, that verse is one of the reasons as a woman that I quit going to church. It's why I walked away from faith, right? And I'm telling you, if that's you, I'm so glad that you're listening this morning because what I want to talk about is so transformational. 
And I love talking about this. Now, here's why uh, this is so important. Our English Bibles are translations of various Greek manuscripts, and the oldest Greek manuscripts... Uh, which are often the most reliable or the best because they've, they've had less chance to be copied, right? Um, in, in the oldest manuscripts, if you were to take this verse and translate it, here's what it would look like. It would say, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. There's no verb in this verse. To which you're probably asking, well now wait a minute, if there's no verb in the verse, where did the verb come from? And that's a great question, right? But you need to ask, where did that verb come from? Now before I explain why the verb isn't in there in our earliest manuscripts, I want to talk about something else because this is so vital and so important. When the Apostle Paul's first century audience heard him teach about women submitting to their husbands. Um, Nobody was shocked by that. Not like you and I are. They were like, well, duh. Okay, tell me something that I don't know. Everybody expected to hear this teaching. They weren't like, what? You know, they had no choice. This wasn't new information in those Greek and those Roman cultures. This wasn't even a big deal. It was just common ground with culture. He was just saying what Greek and Roman and even in some cases Jewish culture already said. This didn't surprise anyone in Jesus' audience and ladies, believe it or not, no one was offended in that culture uh, because men in those cultures had what was referred to as this, patria potestas, patria Potestas, which means men like potatoes. No, it doesn't mean that at all. I totally made that up, but I had you going for a minute, right? No, patria potestas. Patria potestas. These two words put together meant that men in those cultures had legal jurisdiction over their wives and over their children. What I'm telling you is that in this culture, in, in, most, when, in all of the cultures around the world, particularly the, any culture that had been influenced by a Greek or Roman culture, uh, had this value. That, that women, wives were considered property of their husbands. And so, of course, when wives, heard Paul, when, when wives heard Paul say, wives, submit to your husbands, that's like, sure, because if we don't, he'll sell us. He'll trade us off. He'll have us arrested, right? He'll accuse us of some crime, and there won't be any witness, any eyewitness, because by the way, in that day, women couldn't even testify in a court of law. Their testimony was invalid, out of the gate. So there's nobody else to dispute the claim, see? And of course, so of course we have to submit 
to our husbands. Uh, but here's the cool thing, and one of the things that I just love about the Word of God, no matter what culture the Word of God is preached in, the Word of God always transcends culture. So this command, wives submit to your husband, didn't offend that culture at all, but it offends us. It offends our culture. Why? Well, because there's a difference. But here's what I need you to see. It's so important to understand this. Paul starts with the common ground in the culture that he's writing. Because if he doesn't start with common ground, what he's about to say is going to so alienate everyone in that culture that they won't listen. But no matter what culture you're a part of, you're going to find something in here probably that offends you. And that's exactly what God intends to happen, right? Okay, so why no verb in this sentence? Let's take a look at, at it again. Why no verb in Ephesians 5.22 in the earliest Greek manuscripts? Well, the answer is that the verb comes from the verse before it. And this was kind of a typical Greek grammatical way of structuring sentences, right? So that you can make a statement with the verb, and then in the next statement, you just infer the verb. You don't have to write the verb. You don't include it. You just take it from the sentence that comes before. Uh, so the verb submit while it isn't in this verse, is in the verse before. So we should probably all ask together, shouldn't we? Okay, well, what was the verse that came before? And here's what it was. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, you submit to one another because there was a day when Jesus gave up everything for you. And so I want you to give up everything for one another in the way that Jesus gave up everything for you, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, he, listen, this is so important. He doesn't say out of reverence for the Old Testament or out of reverence for the Ten Commandments. No, he says, I want you to do it because through Christ Jesus, God has done something extraordinary for you and you are to demonstrate the same kind of love in your relationships with each other, including your romantic relationships and including marriage. You are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this word reverence means just a sense of awe and wonder that the God of the universe would do what he's done for you. So in other words, our attitude, yours and mine, is to be this. Oh my gosh, Jesus, you forgave me. You died for my sins. You've forgiven me in spite of me. You didn't just save me from my sins. You saved me from myself. And all the times I've gone back on my promises. And all that awe is to be translated, not simply in church attendance or checking out church from your living room, right? Not even simply in singing worship songs to the invisible God up in the sky. That energy is to be translated into a concrete, tangible love that is palpable in every single relationship, but especially in your marriage, especially 
in your marriage. Now, and this is why, this is why Christian marriage is a submission competition because the command to submit is mutual. Now, where I went to school, what they said was this. Well, in Ephesians 5.21, Paul's talking about relationships in the church. And in, Galatians, in Ephesians 5.22, Paul's talking about relationships in the home. And we already know why that can't be true, don't we? Because we've already said that the verb was borrowed from verse 21. So to try to make a sharp distinction between the two simply won't work, right? So, uh, so important, right? It is mutual submission. And listen, friends, if you don't hear anything else today, this is what makes marriage amazing. This, makes, this is what makes relationships amazing. This is what happy couples know. They know this. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah, you're here for me, but I'm here for you because God was there for me. See, now what we get into sometimes in our marriages is we say, I'm here for you if you're there for me, right? Okay, and I'm going to keep score. I'm going to check it out. If you're never there for me, then I'm going to pull back and I'm not going to be there for you. But Paul is asking us to go to a whole other level. He's not saying, I want you to be there for them as long as they're there for you. Paul is saying, I want you to be there for them because I've been there for you. Because Jesus suffered, bled, and died for you. And so your submission to one another, you're not doing it because he deserves it. By the way, I just did a little survey uh, kind of infrequently this week. Guess how many husbands, because some wives would say, well, I'll submit to my husband when he's worthy of being submitted to, right? I did a little survey. I discovered that 100% of the men aren't worthy of your submission, Nobody is. No man whatsoever, right? And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, uh, wives, so submit to one another. The command's mutual, men to women, women to men. But in the home, wives, you, you take notes here. You make sure you apply this, right? Now, what came next? The reason Paul started here is because this was not the offensive point, right, to the culture in which he was writing. But what he is about to say, whereas what he's about to say is not at all offensive to us, but it was exceptionally and extremely offensive to them. Here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, in the first century, when they heard Paul say this, they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, my, I have legal jurisdiction over my wife. She's property. Are you saying I have to actually care about her? Are you saying, Paul, that I have to put her needs above my own? No way. I mean, this was, this was inconceivable 
to them. I mean, you talk about rocking your world in the same way that you ladies got offended when I first read Ephesians 5.22. This was so offensive to the men of Greek and Roman culture, right? Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What kind of love are husbands called to have for their wives? A give-themselves-up-every-day kind of love. To which men in the first century were saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I know this story. This does not end well for Jesus. Right? I mean, that's what they're thinking. I mean, this does not end well for him. So, okay, I know where you're going with this, Paul, but hold on a minute. Because, hey, if, I don't, if she displeases me or if she does something that I don't like right now, I can just, you know, I can do whatever I want. You're saying I have to be controlled and restrained with my wife and that I have to love her in the same way that I love myself? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Didn't sign up for that. I signed up for a wife who was property. That's what I signed up for. And you're trying. I mean, this was a game changer, right? I mean, Paul was literally leveling the playing field, but he had to start in the culture that he was writing to, and he had to find common ground, or they would have never accepted this command. Right? And so he says, listen, he who loves his wife loves himself because there's a mystery to marriage. When a man and a woman stand in front of a crowd of people and they say they do, they become one flesh. They, literally one flesh. They are joined together in a way that no man should be able to separate. They literally become one. And when you try to un-one what God has made one, it's just not going to work. So don't try to un-one what God has made one. Don't go there. Don't even try to do it. Right? So in a marriage, Paul's saying, look, there's to be no division. There's to be no pulling away from each other because you are one flesh. Men, your wives are one with you. This was brand new because what Paul was actually doing here was he was equating, he was making men and women, uh, he was bringing equality to the sexes. That's what he was doing here. He was bringing equality to the sexes. And by the way, guess who introduced this idea of equality to the world? Guess who rolled this out in such a big way that it actually made a difference in the culture that it was in? Guess who the first person was with any authority that declared men and women equal? We're in church, so what do you think the answer is? Jesus. Yeah, that's always the answer in church, right? And for good reason. But you're absolutely right. It was Jesus. In fact, women, I would say this. I'm absolutely convinced, and maybe this is a little naive, but I don't know why all women aren't followers of Jesus. I don't. Because he argued for your value. He argued for your worth. He argued for your dignity. Listen, before it was even a category in anybody else's mind. Before it was even a thought in anybody else's world. 
And the Apostle Paul comes along and says, Men, because of the way your Heavenly Father views the women in your life, you are to treat them with extraordinary value, property or not. I want you to love your wives in the same way that Jesus demonstrated His great love for you by giving yourself away for them every single day. So he just really picks up on the message of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, let me just tell you a story about marriage that Jesus told. Jesus is teaching, and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees come, around, come along, they're always trying to kind of trip Jesus up and catch him up so that they can prove he's not who he claimed to be, the Son of God, right? Because in their minds, for him to claim to be God was heresy. So they were trying to undermine him and do away with him, right? So they, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we got a question. It's a marriage question. Can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, they already knew the answer. At least they thought they did. The answer was, of course. Of course a man can divorce his wife for any and every reason because of patria potestas, right? Because men had legal jurisdiction over their wives. So if a wife burned the toast or displeased her husband in some way, he could have her put away. He could have her sent away. He could uh, put her out of the house and disown her and she would have nowhere else to go and no one else would take her in. Right? And so Jesus, so they think they know the answer to the question. Of course a man can divorce his wife for any other reason. All he had to do was say it three times. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And it was over and done. It was that easy. So they expected Jesus to kind of come to the rescue of men right and say absolutely that's exactly right this is the way God has always meant for it to be and that isn't what Jesus does or says at all right so they say Jesus can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason or is there like a list you know and Jesus looks at them and he says there's no reason there's no reason because you're one. And when you try to unone what God has made one, it's just futile. It's an exercise in futility. See, there is no reason. No, I want you to go home and I want you to treat your wife like you would treat yourself. That's what Jesus said. To a culture where, where men had all of the cards... See, Jesus was saying to men, see, you think you're better. You think you're superior to the women in your life. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because when you marry her, you become one. And uh, you've got to treat her like you would treat yourself. I mean, I'm just telling you that the dignity and the respect and the honor that Jesus gave to women. Read the Gospels, ladies. Women flocked to Jesus. They supported his ministry. They raised money for his ministry. They were, uh, women, were, um, women were among the first people to see Jesus risen from the dead, which is extraordinarily um, amazing. Because again, we've already said, right in this day, women couldn't uh, put their testimony in a court of law. And yet, 
the very first people that see Jesus alive, the very first person is a woman. A woman whose testimony would not have been allowed in a court of law. Right? And the reason the Gospels tell us that is because that has to be the way it really happened. Because uh, you wouldn't make up a story like that, right? Not in that culture, not in that day. So Jesus rolls this out and the Apostle Paul just runs with it. And he says this to that culture. He says, I know you weren't surprised when I said that women are to submit to their husbands. But I'm telling you men, women in God's eyes, they are equally valuable. And you are to be equally yoked in your marriage relationship. And so Paul says this in the only way that he could to make inroads into the culture of first century Greece. And granted, I know it's taken the church in some quarters a long time to catch up, right? Now, but let me just get to the real objection, what many of you in the room are starting to feel. Because some of you are like this, well, wait, 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 wait. I mean, I have one really, really, really big objection to all this. I mean, hey, if I'm going to move forward with this, right? I mean, I mean, listen, pastor, if I take the pressure off him, if I, take, if I let up on her, like, that's going to go so south so fast, right? Like, 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 listen, you have no idea what he's going to do. You have no idea what she is going to spend. Right? I mean, if I take the pressure off him, he'll never come home from work. If, like, he'll just live there. Like, he'll be at work all the time. Like, if I take the pressure off, she will never follow through. She will make me promises all day long and not follow through. Right? I mean, listen, I'm afraid. I'm afraid she won't. I'm afraid he will. I'm afraid he won't. I'm afraid she will or she might. But my friends, listen to me. Look at me. This is the way forward. And it's the only way forward. So, when I was, well, I'll get there in a minute. I'll get there in a minute. Um, no, I want to show it to you now. I want to show you a picture. This is a kind of a picture of tug of war. This is a little boy and a little girl getting practice for marriage, is exactly what this is. Uh, now, the girl has help, right? And this is why in marriage we run to mama, you know, or we run to papa, or we run to our friend. Because at every point in our marriage we go, well, can you believe he, or could you believe she? So we run to our friends, or we run to our parents, so they'll help, so they'll grab our end of the rope and help pull, right? So I just think this is such a, such a great uh, illustration of marriage. Uh, because in every marriage, you know, there's a rope, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, you're facing each other, and my rope's all tangled up, but it doesn't have to be, right? So there's this rope. You know, when we, when we get married, we walk down the aisle, and we dig in, and we go, go. And we just start tugging against each other and you know you know that a marriage like that I mean this all looks fun and games right now but if they were doing this like every day they'd be grimacing they wouldn't be smiling or laughing 
right? This is no way to live out a marriage. Each one on the different side of an issue pulling as if we're enemies. We'll talk more about this next week. But listen, one of the keys to marriage is learning how to argue as friends and not enemies. Argue as friends and not enemies. And again, we'll talk more. But here's what I'm telling you. And, and I get it, I know. I'm, what I'm saying to you, listen, look at me. I'm saying to you is that what you have to do is you have to drop the rope. And you have to go first. See, here's what you want to do. Here's what all of us in the room want to do. It. We, here's what we want to do. We want to go, okay, on the count of three. Okay, one, two, three. Right? And, and if, as long as our partner is willing to drop their end of the rope, we will drop our end of the rope. Right? Uh, but listen, and, and you're saying this, well, you know what? You know, if, if, I, don't, if I don't pull... They're not going to come my way. They're not going to do what I want them to do. And here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that when you enter into a marriage, you need to swap back your boxes and that your, your spouse's box needs to be more important to you than your box. Now listen, this is non-negotiable. For a Christian. Do you know why? Because there was a day when Jesus let go of the rope for you. And he went first. And do you know what that means? That means that you have to go first. Now listen, you're human, right? So you're going to drop that rope, but you know what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to pick it right back up again. And then you got to go, oh, oh, oh. Because that was reflex, right? Because you've been, you've been hanging on to this rope for dear life, for 10 or 15 or 20 years, right? And old habits die hard. So, but, it, but then the next day when you realize, I'm hanging on for dear life. Oh, wait a minute. i got to let go of the rope. Her box is more important than my box. His box is more important than my box. And we know. I mean, don't, don't you just have this sense in your spirit that this is the way forward for followers of Jesus? That this is exactly the way that Jesus would call us. Not any of the, well, I will, or if you will, or I won't if you don't, or any of that. Just putting our mate's box in front of ours. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, there is no hope in this model, in this tug-of-war model. There's no hope. There's no future there. That Listen, saying, okay, I'll let go when you do, or hey, let's count to three, this is not what Jesus is asking you to do today. He's not asking you to have that kind of marriage. What he's saying is, look, let go of the rope. And, don't, and it doesn't matter what your partner is doing. It doesn't matter how your partner responds. You have to go first. And I'll tell you why. This is Jesus talking. Because when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, my heavenly Father dropped His end of the rope first. 
Look, he did something for you. Whether or not you ever did anything in return, he suffered, he bled, and he died for you. This is the gospel message that we proclaim to believe, right? So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's what I love. And and so listen, at the cross, here's what we all know. God went first. God went first. So as a Christian, you know what you have to do in your marriage? You go first. Go first. Don't wait. Don't bargain. Don't barter. Don't dialogue. Anybody else uncomfortable in the room right now? I am. Because you know what? Every once in a while, I find myself picking up my rope. Because old habits, well, you know, they die hard. But here's the good news. You and I, the moment that we said yes to Jesus, He sent the Holy Spirit to live and move and breathe within every one of us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, who, who says, let go of the rope. And He gives us the power. And He gives us the strength to do it. He does. He gives us that power and that strength, right? So I'm just asking you, every one of us, to be more concerned you know, with what's in your spouse's box than what's in your box. Will you do that? Because that's exactly what God has done for you and for me. So let me pray for you, and we're going to respond. I'll tell you in a moment how we're going to respond, but can I pray for us first? Hey, God, um, you know, just as people, we, man, we're just so into our boxes, our own boxes, making sure that everything stays orderly and neat and organized and that things work out just the way that we'd hoped or dreamed or desired. But God, you've told us very clearly that when a man and a woman say yes to one another, that they say yes to one another for life and that they don't swap boxes, that, um, that their spouse's box becomes the most important box in the world to them. Not because their spouse is worthy of it, but Lord Jesus, because you are worthy because you suffered and you bled, because you first let go of your end of the rope. You, you stepped out and onto the cross when we had done nothing, when we had given you no promises, no assurances that we would follow through. And yet, that's what you did for us. And so God, would you help us? just by your spirit that lives and moves and breathes within us to do that for one another. God, not just in our marriage relationships, but God, in all of our relationships, help everyone's box in our lives be more important to us than it is. Elevate that. God, would you push down how important our own boxes are to us? And um, yeah, help us let go of the rope. And so we ask it and we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So here's how we're going to respond. You know, if we're in the room today, um, you know, there are boxes around. If you're 
Um, in your living room, as always, you can uh, click on the chat there, and um, you can respond that way, whether you want a prayer request, whether you want to pray with a pastor through the week, whether you want to bring an offering or give, um, you can respond there at home as well. But here in the room, we're going to stand in just a moment, and we're going we're gonna to sing. Um, if you're at home, you don't necessarily need to stand. You may not even feel comfortable singing, but I would challenge you, you know, just be aware of the words that you're singing and to whom you sing them to. Because he let go of his rope for you. He let go of his rope for us. So let's stand, let's sing together, and let's just focus on the words.